welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon. So glad that you're tuning in, joining us today. Hey, remember, you can always follow us on YouTube. Just type in Ignite Global Ministries, click the bell for notifications. You can also go to our audio podcasts on Apple or Spotify. And if you forget all of that, just remember, you can go to conversationswithbendixon.com. We have a new episode every Monday. Today, we're going to be talking about reaching the next generation. And my special guest is one of my close friends and also one of my staff members here at Northwest Church, our youth and young adults director, Pastor Ryan Kim. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how's it going? It's going It's going great, Ryan. Thank you for asking. And for those of you that don't know you, I'm sure there's some that do and some that don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going in our conversation today? Yeah, so my name is Ryan Kim. I'm 29 years old. Um, I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Janelle, and we've been married for six years. Mm. And we have a little boy named Levi. My favorite. Levi Jonas Kim, LJ. We've never called like him. The, like the Jonas Brothers? Yeah. <laughs> we've never called him LJ before. It was, anyways, bad idea. Too late now, though. Um, so never did. He, he just had his first birthday, uh, and he's awesome. And uh, I'm the youth and young adult director here at Northwest, and I love, love being here, man. How long have you been here at Northwest Church? I've, I've, okay, I was just thinking about this the other day. I've been here for eight months, which has flown. Oh, yeah. It literally feels like it was a month ago that I was here. Yeah, a pandemic can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I lost my sense of time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've only been in Northwest Church for, I think, 19 months now. Jeez, man. So almost uh, just a year, yeah, a year longer than you. So 20, 20 months, I think, entered into 20 months. So I've only been here a year longer than you. Yeah, it's flown, man. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, hey, Ryan is a perfect person to talk to about reaching the next generation because that's his heart, that's his passion, and it's your job. Yeah. But it's more than your job. It's, mm-hmm. your, it's a calling on your life right now, and God's clearly marked him to not only care about this, but do it. And so him, him and I talk about this quite regularly. We think about this. We strategize around this. We pray about this. It is on God's heart. That's why it's on our heart. So one of the things we want to do today is just talk through what it, what it means, what it looks like, and why it's important to reach the next generation. And then maybe practical things. How do we go about uh, doing this? Now, let me just clarify before we jump in is that we want to reach every generation. We want to reach young. We want to reach old. Yes. We want to reach men and women. All of that is really important. But we obviously are in a generational shift, and there, there are many who, who know Christ and have been discipled and have done the Bible studies and been to church a long time. And the reason that we want to emphasize going after, you know, elementary school, uh, young people, um, youth and young adults is because there has been a significant decrease of young people being reached for Christ. Yeah. So the emphasis is not misplaced. The emphasis is rightly placed in saying, hey, we're saying, hey, to all of the Christians, if you know Jesus, we've got to make sure that we have eyes for the young people because they, they have been missed and they do get missed often in our times. And so in our desire to talk about this today, it is not to overemphasize, but rightly emphasize mm-hmm. our passion and our need to reach out to the young people. And I think right. I want to start, Ryan, by asking you a little bit about this. And feel free to just ask me questions, yeah, too, because yeah, yeah. I may forget some stuff that I've been thinking about. Yeah. But... Uh, When we first start this conversation, I thought about the need. Like, I think sometimes not everybody maybe is in the space we're in. They're not having the conversations that we're having or the prayer meetings that we're having and kind of going after it. So they may not understand, like, how serious is the need for us as Christians 
to reach the elementary school uh, kids, the youth, and the young adults? How serious is the need in your mind, and, and, and what are things that come to your mind when you think about the, the need at hand? Yeah, I mean, the cultural pressure right now for our young people is immense, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they are dealing with so much cultural temptation right now. Mm-hmm. And if we don't pursue them for the Lord, you know, we will lose them. Mm-hmm. And what I think about a lot is um, how we're kind of coming into this season where just as important as sharing the faith or, or making new converts is preserving the faith. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's that's just as important these days uh, than even sharing the gospel is mm-hmm. preserving the gospel. Right. And one of the ways that we do that is passing on what we've learned in Jesus to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the only way that we're going to preserve the faith, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's really, really important. And if you've worked with young people long enough, you know that most young people aren't doing okay. Mm-hmm. They seem like they're doing okay. You know, they've got the Instagram filters and the all that mm-hmm. stuff that make them look like they're doing great. But mm-hmm. when you actually dig into their lives, one thing you find out is they're not okay. Right. They're not okay. Right. They're wrestling with uh, massive mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, 70% of uh, Gen Zers experience some form of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are the most anxious and depressed generation in history right now. Mm-hmm. And so... Just that fact alone, that most young people in your around you and in your church are probably not doing okay, and they need the hope of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us that conviction to go even further, you know, with mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. And why do you think, you know, uh, we could call this an epidemic, a pandemic itself, right? Yeah. Why, why do you think some of us don't realize it? What, 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 you know, I mean, you know it, I know it. But I think sometimes people don't really get the fact that it is as bad as it is. Like, it's really bad. And I think I'm trying to convince folks, uh, I feel like, half the time to take this as seriously as we need to. Like w- like you just said, we will lose a generation. That's not overstating it. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> I feel like that's a big statement to make, mm-hmm. and it sounds that way. But, like, we can't yawn. We can't mm-hmm. say that or hear that and yawn and be like, well, you know, it's all going to work out. Jesus has called us to relentlessly pursue these young people because the the cultural indoctrination is real. It's so real. Young people are being discipled by secular humanism, by materialism, by all kinds of lies that are infiltrating music and media and education and every sphere. And we know that it's not, you know, we're not demonizing everything, but the reality is, is that if if we're not uh, more intentional with our pursuit of discipleship, like you're saying, preserving the faith, it's just, it just can't happen. Right. And and so how do we go about that? I mean, in reaching the next generation and preserving the faith that has been passed down to us, what are some thoughts that come to your mind as to how we do this? Yeah. If, I mean, if there was, in my mind, if there was a a really big miss in us mm-hmm. reaching the next generation. It's discipling homes. Mm-hmm. It's discipling families. It's parents discipling their children. Right. You know, again, if you work with young people, especially in the ministry context, you know how much rises and falls on parenting. Absolutely. Um, and especially discipleship and parenting. Mm-hmm. 
And so if there was one big gap that I could see, mm-hmm. it's that. And I probably want to kick that question back to you because mm-hmm. you have a passion for discipling mm-hmm. your home. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a passion for moms and dads coming alongside their children mm-hmm. and imparting the faith and being with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like what do you see in terms of what it means to disciple homes, you know? Yeah, when we talk about discipleship, which we did last week with Pastor Dale Everest, one of the definitions, no, no definition fully encompasses what we're talking about, but one of the things we have to say is to disciple someone means that we take responsibility for the spiritual well-being and development of another person. Yeah. Well, that has to happen in our home. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So parents have yeah. to make a decision. I am taking responsibility right. for the spiritual well-being of my children. Right. And that is not just a, a, a prayer that we pray or, or a thing that we say. It's got to be a decision that that affects the way that we live in right. day-in, day-out ways that are not always, you know, the mountaintop, most attractive things that bring forth a testimony. It's in the mundane, imparting our value system. So first, I would tell every parent that is listening to this and anybody that's a pre-parent, if you're going to have children, you have to realize it is your primary responsibility to disciple your home, yes. number one. So that decision has to be made. The second thing we have to do is decide what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So you have to carve out your time, just like we have to set time to meet with God, just like we have to set appointments, just like we have to set schedules. We actually have to carve out when we're going to intentionally right. disciple our kids, what that's going to look like. Right. And somebody in the home's got to decide that. And I would tell the men, I, I just believe men need to be present. It can't just be moms discipling the homes. And I yeah. mean this with all my yeah. heart. Like, I love the men. I love the women. Women uh, are, are in many cases are doing a great job, but we've got to get our dads yeah. doing a great job of discipling their home. And where that's not going to be the case, there's still going to be a big miss mm-hmm. because there is a big difference between mom and dad. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something I believe. There's a distinction between men and women. The Bible's clear, m- mothers and fathers. Mm. And so mothers give an impartation, fathers give an impartation. Partition, mm-hmm. but together they give it holistically, mm-hmm. and so moms and dads have to come together to take spiritual response to take responsibility for the spiritual development of their home. Then they have to decide what that looks like. So, what are you going to do? Some things that we did was we on Tuesday nights we we do worship, and then we do uh, devotions on Mondays. Uh, that's my day off. We have Bible class with Ben Dixon. Amen. <laughs> and uh, But we actually are watching Frank Turek's videos on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're doing cultural apologetics in our home. But we used to do, uh, when the kids were younger, we would do the Bible Project. So the Bible Project has videos where they go all the way through the Bible. So we did all of those, mm-hmm. almost all of those. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife's watching. I think we didn't do all of them. <laughs> we did most of those. But we've gone in and out of all these different things to help develop our home, help develop their minds. So there are three mm-hmm. things that we focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus on perspectives, the way we think, mm-hmm. principles, what we believe, mm-hmm. and then practices, what we do. Right. And so it can't just be we do a Bible study. We've also got to serve with our kids. Mm-hmm. And kids have to see their parents serving in church. They mm-hmm. have to see their kids serving their neighbors. They have mm-hmm. to see their kids or their kids have to see them praying over their neighborhood. And at night, we're praying over our neighborhood. So discipleship right. is holistic. Right. And it, it requires parents to be fully engaged with God, fully engaged with the church, mm-hmm. and fully engaged with them. Mm-hmm. And so this is really important. So I tell you, moms and dads, no shame, no, uh, don't bring false guilt onto your life, but take authority for your home. Do not let, I mean, Ryan's a youth pastor and I, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our youth pastors who's in the room today, one time he asked me, he said, hey, you're a parent 
and you're my pastor and you're the senior pastor of the church and I'm a youth pastor, what do you expect of me? And I said, mm-hmm. the first thing I said to him was, don't get in my way. Because <laughs> I don't want my kids coming home and I have to unteach them right. something you taught them. Don't right. teach them foolish things. Right. But see, that's that's a word from a parent that's fully engaged right. because I'm invested into teaching my kids. So. Right. It's re- if parents are engaged in and invested into discipling their home, then the youth pastor can come alongside right. and and help to to do what they're already doing rather right. than have to be the discipler right. for that home. Right. And so, listen, this is what you're asking. You're saying uh, it's a big miss. It is a big miss. We can turn that around mm-hmm. within a week. We can turn mm-hmm. that around in a month. We can mm-hmm. turn that around in a year. We can do mm-hmm. that now, yeah. and we must do that yeah. right now. It cannot be a big miss in the days to come. Yeah, I would... And I would say, as a as a youth pastor, my most fruitful interactions with students is when I'm coming alongside of the discipleship of the parents. When the parents are discipling their home, and I'm coming alongside of them as a youth pastor, and more as I'm not parent. I don't have to parent them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a I'm a coach and I'm a spiritual guide Mm -hmm. and I'm someone who points them to Jesus um, on a regular basis. It is so fruitful when we're working together. When I'm working from a deficit, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 there is no discipleship in the home. um, I feel that I experience that, you know, and and I and I feel that the extra leg that I'm going to, and I can see it in our students when they. Are in a in a certain like one environment in their home, you know, mm-hmm. that is um, that is maybe not full of just challenge and faith and the mm-hmm. spirit, and they come to church and and it is that kind of environment, you know. There's just they live that they live in this duality, you know, where and, and it doesn't build a consistency in their lives to to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when there is in the home and in the church, you know, spirit filled, um, Bible believing, you know, all those things. Um, it's like, boom, I mean, things come together and, and they just explode. You yeah, know? It's, it's a partnership. And, yeah, it and really that, is. And hey, not every home is the same. We know that. And and so we, yeah. we, we get that. Maybe you're saying, hey, well, my home is not like that. You know, dad's not in the home. I was just going to ask yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah, mom's not in the home or maybe it's grandparents um, or maybe if, if it's a young person that grew up and you were a foster kid and so you went from home to home, we realize there are a lot of different kinds of homes. And so that's where the church does fill in the gaps and the cracks, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is, is that... Uh, First, and ideally speaking, Mm -hmm. where there's mom and dad or mom or dad in the home or somebody that is parenting, Mm -hmm. we've got to take responsibility there. So if you're leading a home for your kids, that's step number one. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a young person and you're watching this, or maybe you grew up and you didn't have that, Mm -hmm. this is where the church gets to fill in the gap. So we have discipleship in the home and we have discipleship in the church. And that's where we have the privilege and responsibility of actually providing those on ramps for mm-hmm. people to not only meet Jesus but mm-hmm. walk with Jesus, and yeah. we want to help preserve the faith that's been passed down to us. That's why church can't just be um, it can't just be uh, fun and food. Mm-hmm. It has to be uh, encounters with God. Mm-hmm. It has to be discipleship in the Word of God. And so that's a very important piece for young people, don't mm-hmm. you think? Is to encounter the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I came to Christ by encountering the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm a Pentecostal today, yeah. not because I like the name, mm-hmm. or I think being Pentecostal is better than being non-Pentecostal or, or calling yourself a Baptist. I don't. It's not a badge of pride. 
but I'm just using it as a distinction. I encountered the power and the voice of the Holy Spirit who led me to Christ when I was 19. And I have found it so important to lead young people into encountering God. Mm. And I think we could park there for a moment. Like when we think about discipleship in the church, encountering the Holy Spirit isn't everything. We need Mm -hmm. to have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people Mm -hmm. of God. But how important as a youth pastor is it for you? And you've seen young people being impacted by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, I'm 29, and at this point in my life, I am watching more of my friends walk away from Jesus than I ever have mm-hmm. in my whole life. Um, and it's for various reasons, you know. Um, but I have noticed that those who either haven't walked away from Jesus yet or or maybe they, they're tempted to walk away, but they just can't, all have had powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I think part of that is because there is an aspect when you when you have an encounter with the presence of God, you know, when you have an encounter with the person of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't undo that. You can't unsee that. Yeah, you can't right. deny that. So when you get older and you're, you know, our young people are 22, 23, 24, and they go out into culture and they're fed all these things and they're tempted to walk away from Jesus, they're going to look back at this encounter with the Holy Spirit and go, mm-hmm. man... I can't deny that experience that I had, you know, and that's why I think it's important for us now, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when a student is, you know, 14 to 18 years old Mm -hmm. to foster environments where they are encountering the Holy Spirit and having a tangible encounter with God. And there are many ways that we can do that, but one of the first ways that we do that is prayer. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds so basic, but like in our youth ministry, we don't do anything without praying, mm-hmm. anything without praying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we know that more than anything else in youth ministry, we need our students to have a personal encounter with Jesus. That's and we right. can't make that happen. But when we pray, mm-hmm. when we pray, God can move and God can make that happen. Well, and you're passionate about worship as well. And I think prayer and worship sort of go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. They're just their brothers, cousins. Siblings, Siblings. <laughs> yeah, mom and dad. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, <clears throat> but no worship. Uh, worship is it helps to not create an environment, but when we're looking up instead of mm-hmm. looking across or looking down or looking in, we're looking up. Mm-hmm. Worship is all about drawing our attention to Christ. It's drawing our attention to who God is and what God has done and getting our focus off of other things. And when yeah. we do that, we see how big he is, how beautiful mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. And we start to pull down and yeah. pull in to our lives and to our church and to yeah. our families and to our uh, on earth as it is in heaven. We start to interact mm-hmm. with heavenly realities because we're looking at God mm-hmm. and it's through prayer and worship that we see miracles yeah. happen. And one of the great, the greatest, the greatest miracle is the transformed heart. Mm. Because we can't change hearts, right? Yeah. You, you just can't. I mean, I've parented four kids. Like, mm-hmm. you can't change hearts. I mean, yeah. I've, if, if it were possible, I would have perfected the art of changing hearts. Like, yeah. I would have done it. I would have commanded oh, it, demanded same. it, but I haven't been able to do it. And there's no pill to do that. You have to have... I mean, God is highly invested in this, but we have to facilitate a, an environment where we're out of the way right. also. God, right. God the Father can touch our kids, our young people, and our children. And that's so important um, to me, and it's so important to you. So environments of worship, environments of prayer, 
focusing on the Word of God as yeah. a living Word, yeah, and it's not just an ancient book. It is yeah. an ancient book of antiquity. Mm-hmm. It is historical reality, but it is a living Word. Yeah. What was true is true, mm-hmm. and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that these words come to life mm-hmm. in our young people. And so I, I want to also say one of the things that's bothered me, I was a youth pastor, young adult pastor, associate pastor, lead pastor, itinerant traveling around. I've done it all, it feels like. Probably something I haven't done. But anyways, it feels like I've done a lot of things. And I'm a spiritual, uh, positional nomad. Anyhow, <laughs> I'm a bit mad. I, I have. It has bothered me for years that in the church, when a, a young person gets on fire for God, like they're just wanting to tear through the Word, and mm-hmm. they are wanting to come early to pray, mm-hmm. and they want to be involved, and they want to reach out to people, and they want to give their money and their time mm-hmm. and go on mission trips. It's almost like the minute that happens with a young person, they've got to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. That has bothered me so much because what we're saying is right. if a young person is on fire, it right. must mean that your job for the rest of your life is to be a, a minister of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That to me is mm-hmm. messing us up. Right. Every Christian should be on fire for God. Yeah. Every young pe- it should be normal. Yeah. And for some reason we've made it abnormal. There's this yeah. subtle thing inside of us that says if a person is a young person's on fire, it must mean that they're specially anointed to do do something for God greater than the rest of us. Right. No, it must mean that, right. that they found him to be as great as he is, right. and they're in love with him. And I think we've got to stop making that on-fire young person to mm-hmm. be the exception right. rather than the rule. We want that to be the norm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm not saying that the norm is going to be um, the anointed communicator because mm-hmm. we all have different gifts, right. but my point is, is that... When a young person's on fire with God, I think sometimes one of the worst things we can tell them is saying, you're a pastor, because now all of a sudden they start to think of themselves maybe a little bit better. Mm -hmm. If we create sort of this sense of normalcy in that we're all supposed to be on fire for God, we're all supposed to love the Word of God, we're all supposed to spend time with God every day, we're all supposed to have a sacrificial heart, it's really important that um, we, we believe in our young people. And we say, you can be on fire for God, and you can do great things for God in any sphere, mm-hmm. uh, any environment that the Lord sends. You don't have to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might be called to that, but but don't think that automatically. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of bothered me over the years is that we start to kind of put people onto a conveyor belt mm-hmm. the minute they get on fire for God, which I think can uh, set people up. And my example for that is that uh, when I was 19, I came to Christ, and by the time I was 20... I'm speaking, I mean, I had a microphone in my face, you know, and I'm, I'm on my way to being a youth pastor. And before you know it, I mean, I'm a literal pastor, yeah. uh, barely two years into being a Christian. And I don't think that was the Lord. I think that was man, <laughs> you understand? Like, and, and praise God by his, by, his, experience, yeah. by his grace that he's preserved me mm-hmm. all these years. I thank God for that because I, I, I was a mess, but he cleaned me up, you know, and I feel like there was this pressure that when I stood out, because I was tearing through the Bible and I was on fire for God, that it, it was almost like some people were saying, mm. calm down, because mm. you know they wanted me to probably calm down to the level of their oppression. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, reduce yourself down to the level of our oppression so that we can have, mis- you know, misery loves company, so, so join, join our crew. Um, some people were like that. The other people were like, hey, you, you, 
you're you're really something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I am? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, you really, mm-hmm. God's really giving you something. And maybe there was an anointing, but why did that have to be so abnormal? Right. And the older I've gotten, the, uh, the longer I've been doing this, the more I'm like, I want to kick that out of the church. Mm-hmm. I want to create a sense of normal mm-hmm. for believers, young people in particular, being on fire for God. And this is, this is your, what you're called to. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, normal Christianity is this. Right. It's abnormal for us to be casual. It's mm-hmm. abnormal for us to be lukewarm. It's abnormal for us to treat the Bible like it's just, uh, it's there when I feel like it or when I need it. Mm-hmm. And I think if we have that mentality, then young people will just benefit from it. Yeah. Because they realize without like this pressure of what I want them to perform in or do or you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get some performance out of them, but this is Jesus has called us to be on fire and not lukewarm. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point because a part of it is creating that new normal mm-hmm. for them and redefining what normal Christianity is. You right. know, and to your point, I was just thinking about how sometimes when we work with young people. Um, especially with youth, we're afraid, maybe we're afraid to challenge them. Yeah. No, we're yeah. afraid to take them further in Jesus and, and challenge them to dive deeper into the, into the word or, or to pray more or to share their faith more. You know what I mean? But like, I'll, I'll just share a story with you. Um, sometimes I have this thought when I work with my students, I'm like, man, am I too hard on them? You know, because we have a, we have a culture. By the way, I feel that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have, the time. One, one thing I love about our church is yeah. that we have a culture in Northwest where we're willing to pull any young person aside and go, Hey, how are you doing? I see That's this right. in your life. Like, yep. can I pray for you? But, but also can I challenge you here? We have that culture here and they know it. So, so I've had these thoughts, like, am I just, am I too hard on my students, you know? And so we have a student leadership program that we just finished. It was six months long, and we call it Crew. So at the end of Crew, I had each student, it was about 10 students, share what they learned. Mm-hmm. Like, what was their biggest takeaway from this six-month experience? And so they, they went up there, and they were going to share. And I thought they were going to, you know, I, I had my thoughts on what they were going to say. And a majority of them, and I had challenged the heck out of these students. I had meetings and all sorts of stuff. And they, they went up to share. And, and so many of them said, I learned about how much God loves me. Wow. That's what yeah. they said. Wow. And I looked at my wife and I went, wow. Like this whole time I was thinking to myself, am I being too hard? Mm. And they're just going, I realized how much God loves me and cares about me. Mm-hmm. And it's when I realized that we mm. need to get rid of this thing that we think that that challenging a young person or calling them to repentance is not loving them. Right. That is absolutely uh, a mistake. Yeah. In fact, um, they crave discipleship. That's right. They crave that someone will care enough about them to pull them aside, spend time with them, and dig deep into their lives. You know, I'm getting emotional, but it's Come just on, like, okay. <laughs> but it's but it's just like um, they ex- that they will experience the love of God through us. That's right. If we disciple them. Well, and they can go really far. And yeah. what you're what you're saying is is awesome because here you are questioning yourself. Right. Am I too much? And the reality is what you're sharing is that it's through our partnership with parents, it's through our intentional discipleship that we realize that we're not giving enough. Right. That we're questioning ourselves mm-hmm. when we're giving this much. And what this revelation that you had in that night of testimony was like, not only can they take what I'm giving but they can take a lot more. Right. And we're talking about they can take more intentionality. Right. They can take more challenge. We're not trying to teach them 
um, survival, we need to teach them surrender. Yes. And if we teach young people surrender, we're doing what ancients have done. And one of the things I was looking at is uh, I, I, I wrote down some things about the Mishnah, which was the oral law or the oral traditions that were passed down. And it was normal in Jesus's time. And it was by 15 years old. I mean, th- think about this. In Jewish tradition, by 15, you have already gone through school to memorize parts of the Torah as a young Jewish boy. I mean, this was normal, yeah. okay? 15 years old, they're learning theology, they're memorizing the Torah. That's crazy. At 15, yeah. you had a choice. If you were bright and you were in the right family, you would be chosen by a rabbi to come under them to learn. At 15, hmm. I just want you to think about 15-year-olds for a second. They believed that you were ready. If you weren't the bright or the right family, then you would go into a trade. At 15, you would learn to be a carpenter. Hmm. You would learn to build houses. You would learn to do these kinds of things. You could be a blacksmith. I mean, I just feel like we don't look, uh, we don't look at our kids and our young people sometimes and believe that they can go as far as they can. Right, if right. you look at generations and, and history of in the past, you find that they, they, it's built into civilization that they right. believe that young people were capable earlier than they are. And I think right. if we only think our young people are capable of, of, of texting and being on social media and playing video games, right. then that's what we're going to believe for them. And we've right. got to say, no, you can believe, you can know theology, right. you can learn uh, to know God. You can learn to have a prayer life. Mm -hmm. You can learn to do things with your hands. You can Mm -hmm. do more at 15 than Mm -hmm. maybe we're believing that they can. And when you're saying uh, we can challenge them and maybe you even felt like, am I being hard? And that's the revelation. No, we're not being hard. We're actually believing in our young people. And that's the mentality that we have to have. We have to have the mentality, I believe in you. I believe you can go farther than you think you can. And we're not just going to give gold stars for effort, okay? Mm -hmm. We're going to push you Mm -hmm. into your destiny. Because the culture is relentless. The culture yes. is saying, I believe that you can spend 18 hours on video games. The right. culture is saying, I believe that you can um, that you can become these type of people and do these kinds of things. Mm. And I think that what we're saying is we've got to believe that they can go far in the Lord. Mm. They can give their hearts to God. They, they can be disciples who make disciples. They can share the gospel. They can be world changers. Yeah. I, I know sometimes at, at camps, we, we hype people up like, you can change the world. You, know? <laughs> you can do it. But the fact is, is they can at least change their world. Yeah. And if we have yeah. a mentality where we start believing in them, all we're really doing is joining the generations of the past yeah. who have always believed that young people were capable at an early age. It's funny because when you look through the Bible and you just consider how old like the disciples were, most people agree. There's a consensus that when Jesus chose his disciples, knowing that at 15 years old, they would start a trade with their with their father, the boys would, yeah. or they would follow a rabbi. Most people believe everybody was under 20 except for Peter who was married because typically that's, you know, you come to a certain age where you're going to be married. And the reason that Jesus didn't become a rabbi until he was 30 was because you didn't take up spiritual authority and have followers until you were that age. Hmm. In Jewish tradition, they didn't consider that you were worthy to be followed until until you were of, of 30 years old. So there's a lot of things in scripture where you look at Joseph was 17. Most people believe that David was well under 20 when he faced Goliath. Some hmm. say 16, some say 18. And we believe that the church is built on the backs of young adults because that's the entire book of Acts, Mm. is the apostles were not that old. I mean, they weren't 35, 40 years old. We know that John wrote his, the book of Revelation and the gospel of John in the late 90s. Mm. 
I mean, you just have to remember, like, John was walking with Jesus at 30, 33 AD. Yeah. So how old was he in the 90, the 90 AD? So mm. they were young adults. Yeah. And my point is this, is that maybe part of why we're losing young adults, and I don't, I don't know that I want to create a narrative, we're losing young adults, but maybe we don't believe in them like we ought to. Mm. Maybe we have to believe that they can do more than, the, than we've believed they can. Mm. And if I look at you and I, and I know that internally God has wired you to step up and to step out, and if I speak to you that way, uh, I, I, maybe that's part of how we approach this in the future is saying, right. I don't care if you're 14, you're 15, you're 16, you can do more than you think you can. Right. And if we have that mentality, it's not yeah. about being hard on people, no. but like, I want to call them to surrender and not just to survive. Yeah. And that's what you're, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, brought to mind something that, um, I think is Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. when he was, uh, he was a spy and he was, uh, wanting to make disciples. Um, and he looked out at, you know, like the Nazis and, and mm-hmm. their army, mm-hmm. and he saw how they were producing this giant army. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this, he wanted to create falls of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, but he looked at the strength of this army mm-hmm. and he looked at the discipleship landscape. And he said this quote, and mm-hmm. um, I think John Tyson says this too, but he says, you know, this must be stronger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, this must be stronger than that. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think about how as the cultural pressures grow, um, our strength in discipleship must grow mm-hmm. along with it and even greater mm-hmm. and even greater, mm-hmm. you know? And so we just need to get a lot more serious about discipleship. And I know we're, we're laughing and joking, but, you know, in our, on our faces, we have really serious facial expressions if you're listening because this is a serious thing, you yeah, know? It um, it's something that we, we, we care about deeply. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you care about deeply as a mm-hmm. lead pastor mm-hmm. um, as well, but you were saying something before, we were just talking before this, but you're talking about identity mm-hmm. um, and calling out the identity of some of these young people mm-hmm. um, and helping them to believe for more they see. But I have a question for you. You know, you, you're a lead pastor mm-hmm. and you care a lot about young people and you've, watching you, you have done a lot to, to make space for young people at our church mm-hmm. um, and a lot of intentionality on your part. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that leaders can do, you know, who maybe feel like they're too old or, mm-hmm. or whatnot or disconnected? You know, what are some things that, that leaders can start doing to make space for young people to encounter Jesus? Yeah, there's part of that is belief systems, right? So, like, <clears throat> I think one of the first things that we have to do is we have to uh, believe that young people do want us in their life. Because you may not believe that right now. I mean, sometimes right. like we automatically, like, let's say you're 65 years old and you're like, I'm just an old guy and they're not going to listen to me. And you, you, know, you start thinking that kind of stuff or I'm just, you know, I'm just an older gal. What do I have to give? You've got a lot to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 65 years worth of giving. But how you give that is really the key. So it's not about do you have something to give? It's that are you willing and how do you do it? Right. But you first start by believing that young people want you in their life. Mm. They, they really do. And we don't mean that arrogantly. No. Just because you're older doesn't make you an elder, you know? But if, if you believe that young people do want to learn and they do want to grow, regardless of what's on their face, regardless of maybe the things that they say or how they respond initially, it does take long-term investment. But we've got to realize, like, we, my belief, I don't know if I can prove this, but my belief is that we're living 
in somewhat of an unparented generation. Mm. Not only do we have high statistics of some parents not being in the home, that's one element, but even for those the parents that are in the home, young people by and large are not being intentionally parented. Right. And so there's a vacuum and there's a lack of having that father-mother heart mm. towards them. And when you grow up without having that father-mother heart investing in you, you don't know how to value older people in your life. And so I think there are a lot of young people that don't automatically look at older people and think, I really, I really value what you have. I'm saying there's a longing in them mm-hmm. for it, yeah. but they may not say it. Right. So how do we bridge the gap in an unparented generation mm-hmm. who hasn't always had that parental role mm-hmm. intentionally developing them? You have to have presence. Right. So one of the most important things for us is to be present. So if you're at a church, you can just get involved in the kids' ministry mm-hmm. and the youth ministry and the young adult ministry, and you have to cross the bridge of feeling like I'm this 60-year-old uh, person mm-hmm. awkwardly here. No, that's a beautiful thing, actually. Mm-hmm. That is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that. So if I were 60, I'm 41, but if I were 60, I would have mm-hmm. no problem thinking that because of mm-hmm. my experience being involved in mm-hmm. church and being involved in the lives of young people. Mm-hmm. But it isn't going to happen overnight. You're not just going to show up and they're going to go, Daddy, Mommy, <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but over time, when you're present, yes. your investment m- matters and makes a difference. Yeah. So, so when what can you do? Number one, believe mm-hmm. that your that your investment matters. Know that your presence is most important, mm-hmm. and then the words that you have to say in mm-hmm. that context mm-hmm. will literally transform their lives because yeah. you're going to give your best to them as you spend time with them. Yeah. One of the great deficits is there's a lack of presence. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny the the two most impactful, effective youth leaders I have in my youth ministry are in their 50s and mm-hmm. 60s. Gary and Larry. With Gary and Larry. Shout out to Gary and Larry if you go to Northwest. If you're not watching this, listen, you should. I'm surprised <laughs> hey, you can shout out here. Shout out. But, um, you know, and they're in their 50s and 60s, but yep. they they have been faithful in that ministry right. through, through transitions. Um, and the students will, I mean, Everyone else can be talking, but when they open their mouths, the students are all ears, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the relationship that they have built with them. And I just want to share a statistic as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But um, for those of us, or not me, I'm not old yet, but I don't know how you quantify old. But you know, happen real fast, buddy. (laughs) All at once. Your knees are not what they used to. Keep going. (laughs) But but there's a fascinating statistic that so um, we know that 66% of teenagers. Uh, who are active in the church leave the church or are no longer active in the church by the time they graduate high school. Mm. But there's a back end of that statistic where um, 40 to 60% of those 66% who left the church come back to church mm. by the time they hit 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And the number one reason they come back to church by the time they hit 30 years old is because a parent invited yeah. them. And yeah. it's not even just their own parent, an adult mm. invited them back to church. Mm-hmm. And so we can't discount our credibility in mm-hmm. Jesus because of our age. Mm-hmm. There is a longing and a craving in young people to hear from spiritual mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are coming back to church by the time they're 30 years old, because a parent invited them, you just never know the impact that you can have. It's it's powerful because it, it, it brings me back to a thought that I, I didn't quite convey when you asked me the question. When we... Um, 
when we're present and we are intentionally going after young people, it helps them to cultivate value for the older. Yeah. Like when I got, when I became a Christian, I was 19, and I'll be honest with you, it was almost impossible to get discipled. Mm. I felt like I could ask, I could beg, I could show up, I could drive an hour, Mm. and I had to make it as convenient as possible for the people discipling me. I had to wake up early, and I did this. I'm telling you, like every time I sought discipleship, I had to be like, uh, I had to, I had to do the drive. I had to uh, prove myself. I had to prove that um, that to this person that I was using their time properly. Mm-hmm. And it was a mindset. It was a mindset that caused them to think that. And you know what? I get that. But I'll tell you what: in an unparented generation, they're not going to look up and think, "I need you." Right. And so, if our mentality, if older pe- if if you're older and you're listening, and your mentality is, "I don't want to waste my time," you need to stop thinking like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean that with all due respect. And I, and I have to do the same thing. Is that if we think my time is valuable, which it is, and I don't want to waste it, and nobody does, but if we assume that younger people automatically value us because we're older and they value our time and they're not and to not waste it. Sometimes because they haven't been parented right. or invested in, they're, they're not waiting in line and begging us to spend time with us. So that means we've got to go after them mm-hmm. instead of expecting them to go after yeah. us. And this is like the father's heart, and we see in the, lost, uh, the parable of the lost son. It's that the father, it says that he sees his lost son from a far way off. And he doesn't wait for that son to come. He runs. The, the heart of God, the father heart of God is full of rescue. Mm. And it says when he sees him from a long way off. And I think even if young people aren't a long way off of God, but we just got to realize like maybe they don't, like they don't have the value system that we do. Maybe they don't have some of the things that we know and take for granted. Then we've got to run after them. Mm. And that's a shift of mindset that I think really needs to happen. And yeah. if you ask me, why have you been effective? Because I've worked with you. I just helped mm-hmm. disciple you for a lot mm-hmm. of years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just you going after me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm pretty weird. I'll call you on the way home all the time. <laughs> but I go after people, and mm-hmm. I have for years. And it's a mindset where um, I don't need to necessarily feel valued and like my time is being spent well. I have to have a belief system that's bigger than how you make me feel. Right. And my belief system is that I've got to go after you right. because if I go after you to give you what God's given to me, the chances mm. are something good can happen. Mm. So it isn't just contingent on how you treat me right. or how you position your heart to me. You're the younger one. Right. So I've got to assume that you're not going to be able to perfectly treat me mm-hmm. the way that my time demands. It's not like this is incentivized. This is not a business. And so I think that's a mindset that's got to change, right? Yeah. Now, we to go back to the thing that I, I think we missed is that I was a youth pastor for a couple years, young adult pastor, and, uh, and one of the things that I probably made a mistake in that I'm trying to do a lot better in today is that... I would focus a lot more on behavior rather than identity. Mm. And I realized that when you focus on behavior modification, you know, young people, old people, doesn't matter who, you're going to fail, right? Mm. You're going to sin. You're going to get tempted. You're going to make mistakes. Mm. But if we don't really teach young people the gospel and that Jesus had to die 
to forgive us of our sin and his forgiveness is full even as a Christian and help them understand that they're sons and their daughters of God and that it's by the blood of Christ that they're mm-hmm. forgiven and cleansed and set free and learning to live in your new identity, in your new nature, which takes time, mm-hmm. helping them to understand that God loves them even in the midst of their struggle to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a process. Sanctification takes time. Deliverance is overnight, but discipleship is a lifetime. Mm-hmm. This is so important for, for young people because sometimes as a youth pastor or a young adult pastor, I'm just going to tell it myself, I would focus a little bit more on behavior modification, yeah. which ends up being do better, try harder in right. the mind of a young person. Right. And they feel guilty. Mm. And that and that guilt drives them from the church. Mm. You know, it's about can you have a tattoo or not, or can you mm. can you drink a beer or not, or all that stuff. And we can mm. have those conversations, right, reasonably mm-hmm. in a mature way. Mm-hmm. But when you're discipling a young person, you've got to make sure that you embed them in the gospel and you mm. help them understand who Jesus is and that he came and died for them because they needed that. Right. And it's in their identity in Christ that is more important than just modifying behaviors and right. trying to get them to, to do this thing or look this way. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not young or old, but it's unattractive to me, mm. <laughs> to be honest with you. I would love to say I get more sanctified the older I get, but what really happens is I get more aware mm-hmm. of some of the sins that mm-hmm. I have not been aware of, and mm-hmm. that just sucks to even say. Yeah. But there's truth to that. Like, I don't mean like sins that I'm hiding or skeletons in the closet, because I don't have that, but it's where you realize you're unloving mm-hmm. and you don't forgive like you think you did or whatever. And so I just think there's a not a sloppy grace, mm-hmm. but an understanding that knowing your identity in Christ is what keeps you in your sanctification mm-hmm. rather than keep you focused on your sin and sanctification, not understanding your identity mm-hmm. very well. So identity over behavior modification, I think, is really... Um, Massive of massive importance when you're discipling mm. and going after young people and reaching the next generation. Yeah. So we're talking about how now, yeah. right? Yep. Like we're, we talked about the why, but now we're talking about, okay, like I want to pour into the next generation. I want to lead them to Jesus, but how? Mm-hmm. And um, how, how not to is to point out all their behaviors <laughs> and try to modify their behavior. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, uh, in, you know, that age range is really when their core identity is solidified, you mm-hmm. know, between uh, middle school and the early 20s is when they really start to believe who they are. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say, like, call out their God-given identity in Christ any chance that you get, mm-hmm. any chance that you get. And I think it's kind of interesting because, like, even... I mean, we're drawn to some of the things in culture, you know, but even culture, like, it is behavior modification, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know why we're drawn to it, because culture literally is, um, hey, you need to learn to manage your image. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what they're learning. Mm -hmm. It's behavior modification. Mm -hmm. And so they need something different, Mm -hmm. right? We all need something different, and what we need is our identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so just calling out... Um, God-given identity whenever, wherever and whenever we can. And I would say this too, is so much of working with young people is about simply is just about sowing and reaping. Amen. It's just sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping. And it's sowing when you don't feel like they're listening. It's sowing. Because they are. Yeah, because they are. They are. All sowing the time. when you feel like they're running the other way. 
It's sowing when you feel like you don't have a connection with them. It's sowing when you feel like they haven't heard you. The crazy thing about young people is they are picking up everything. They They are. are listening. They are receiving. And so... As someone who does believe in the next generation, the best thing that that we can do is just so. Like mm-hmm. whenever we get the chance, whenever we see a young person, just so and so, and just believe that Jesus is doing something, and you will see that there will be a moment of of reaping and harvest, and it will come suddenly. Like mm-hmm. you've experienced this before, mm-hmm. right? When you work with a young person, it will come out of the blue, and suddenly, and you'll go, "Whoa, I, I forgot I said that." Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know it that had that kind of an impact on you. Mm-hmm. And so that would be my encouragement to all of us is just continue to be sowers of the seed of the word of God. Mm-hmm. And, and we will reap and you will reap in their lives. And they'll go home and they'll think about what you say, mm-hmm. you know, even if you don't see it or you don't realize it. And years from now or, or a month from now, you know, they'll come back and go, you know, what you said really impacted me. It, that really mattered to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so important. Yeah. When I, I mean... I came to Christ when I was 19, and there were moments that I can remember. And I've thought about this. What what, what impacted me mm. when I was yeah. young? Um, I remember going to a church when I was a teenager before I met Christ, and I was... It wasn't harshly corrected by somebody, but I felt like misunderstood, like I wasn't asked a question. I was automatically assumed that I did something wrong, mm. and that like negatively impacted me. And it shouldn't have as much as it did, yeah. but it sort of made me like, oh, Christians suck, and they're horrible people, you yeah, know, because yeah, yeah. this one person <laughs> represents everybody in the body of Christ, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which is not true. This is not how all young people <laughs> sound. It's just how Ben Dixon sounded. But, but that's kind of how I, I took that. But then I remember at 19... I had, uh, there were a couple people sporadically that did speak into my life, and I can remember being corrected. I can remember being encouraged. I can remember um, being given opportunity. And all of those things combined made me feel believed in, mm-hmm. made me feel loved, yeah. uh, made me feel, even the correction made me feel like somebody was looking out for me. Because mm. the correction wasn't about performance, mm. it was about me um, stepping into more, mm. it was about me being more. It was never about me doing more for them or for their namesake or for their uh, status or some optic that would make that person look better. I, I, I haven't experienced that. But I think you could feel that way because correction is sometimes pretty strange. But correction is to help set right somebody when they're going down a wrong path, you know, right. and the Bible's really clear about how that's a blessing. In doing that in the right way, we want to learn that. But um, I, I do think it's really, I think it's really important when we talk about the how, um, I, I think, I mean, we don't have much time left, but obviously every time I do one of these, I say, we need to do part two, which <laughs> we do. I, I, I have a burden, I don't know why, um, right now to just, if there's anybody listening and you feel like your kids are maybe teenagers and may, maybe you haven't done some of the things that you feel like you should have done, mm-hmm. you're like, Ben, I, I'm listening to you talk about how, Ryan, thank you, I'm inspired, but I, my kids are a little bit older now, or maybe your kids are like young adults now and you're like it's too late and you Mm -hmm. feel like even when you call them and it's awkward or you text them and it's weird and you've lost the time. I want to tell you something God does. Mm -hmm. God redeems the time. Anytime we turn to the Lord and we say, use me now, he will use you now. We're talking about the God of the miraculous. He's the one that can change hearts. And I just want to say this to anybody that's listening or watching Mm -hmm. that it's not too late. Mm 
Yeah. yeah, maybe we could have and should have done things better, and we can repent and we can give that to the Lord, but we don't want to spend one day in like self-pity, like, oh, I should have, and, and, and feel bad for ourselves. Just give it to God mm. and say, Lord, right now, can, can you help me reach my young person? Mm. If they're 12, 15, and maybe they're 30 years old, I want to tell you what God can do. Mm. Maybe we haven't been able to do it, but God can do it, and He can use us now. And that's what He's always asking us. Are we willing to go to do this now? Mm. You know, we can't look back, right? We have to look for it. Are we willing to try today? And the first thing we can do is pray and ask God for forgiveness for whatever maybe we haven't done and, and we know we should have. If, if we know there's a real sense of responsibility, we need to take, take responsibility for that as a parent. I'm a parent. My heart goes out to you. Amen. I've made a lot of mistakes. Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't do what I could have and should have. But today, I want to surrender to you and I want to, I want to give my time to helping even if it's texting them. And I would encourage you, don't be ashamed or afraid to text your young person to, if, if they don't live with you or if they do live with you to say, we're going to start spending time together. Yeah. Start today. You yeah. can start today. And even if you feel like you've lost time, yeah. you can still do it. And I have watched things. God is the God of turnaround and he yeah. can turn things around and he will turn things around. If you have, and I have a burden right now for those that have young adults. Mm. You have young adults who are out of the home and I'm encouraging you, and I believe prophetically, I'm encouraging you to start contacting them, to start praying for them, to start going after them. He is the God of turnaround, and He can turn mm-hmm. that around. And maybe He won't turn everything about your relationship around, but if it's about their relationship with Him, mm-hmm. and that's what we truly want for them, let's start going after that. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. That's what we need. It's never too late to start parenting where we are. It's never too late to start parenting where we are. The past is the past, but the present is, is where we are, and we've got to lay hold of what God wants to do today. And I just want to encourage you to go down that path and to start today. You can, and, and, and God's calling us to. I, I believe that's a burden for us. Yeah. Can, I, can I have you do this as we close? Yeah. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan, mm. youth and young adults. I love your heart for our young people, mm-hmm. and I appreciate all that you do. I just want to ask you to pray. Yeah. We don't close every conversation with prayer. Maybe mm-hmm. we should. Hey, Amen. Maybe we yeah. should. Can, can I share a story? Yeah, real yeah. Quick? Do and it. Then do I'll, it. And then, pr- and then yeah, pray. And, and I'll pray. Um, yeah. Just to encourage you, parents. Um, when I talk to parents, a lot of times, when when they feel like their 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 kids aren't walking with Jesus, I think there's a a, a season of parenting where there's a desperation. Mm-hmm. You know, where just you just feel desperate, like you're just like out of control and and desperate. And um, you know, when when I was uh, when I was in high school, you know, I wasn't walking with Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church, and I was addicted to drugs and all sorts of stuff. But I remember one morning, um, this was probably, you know, uh, maybe six months to a year before um, I gave my life to Jesus and had an encounter with Jesus. I remember one morning I woke up, um, and I don't know why I woke up that morning, but I woke up at like 5 a.m., and I never do that. And I went into my mom's room, and... <clears throat> And I went to my mom's room and I walked in and my mom was on her knees praying. And I didn't know this, but I found out that she did this every morning. I didn't know that. And I found that she gets on her knees every morning and she prays for me through my addiction. And, uh, and in time, you know, um, I did have an encounter with Jesus. And so to, to what Pastor Ben is saying... Um, don't give up mm-hmm. in prayer. Mm-hmm. 
God honors the prayers of mothers and fathers. Oh, amen. So don't give up on prayer. So let, let's amen. pray. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I thank you for every uh, mom and dad, spiritual mother and father listening right now, Lord. God, we pray that I, we pray that you would give them strength right now in Jesus' name. Anyone who's listening or watching, that you pour out strength right now in Jesus' name. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd pour out upon them right now and give them wisdom and revelation about how to reach the young people in their lives, Lord. I pray for those who feel weary, those who feel like giving up, those who feel desperate, that you would breathe fresh life and fresh hope and fresh faith for God, what you can do and how you can change lives around. Lord, we pray for, for uh, any, any kids who have walked away from you, that you would turn them around, that you'd bring them home, help them to see that you love them and that you care for them and that you have a better life for them. And we pray in Jesus' name that prodigals would come home right. in the name of Jesus. And we pray for this generation, Generation Z, millennials all over in our nation, God, that they would humble themselves, seek your face, and turn to you so that you can heal their hearts and you can heal our land. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for being with us, Pastor Ryan. Yeah. Love you, man. It was awesome. Hey, thanks. and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Join us next week on another Conversations with Ben Dixon.